hello there once again. You are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. I am indeed your gracious and grateful host. I may have some fun with that on the you. I might, I might let that go even a little longer next time. We'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. I might just let that hang for the whole show. And then just say a few words afterwards and that's it. Anything can happen on this show because clearly I am having fun. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Mr. Michael E. Simpson, continues to get me wonderful people to speak to, and I am grateful as hell. I would like to tell a little story before I introduce this next guest, and that story is about moi. When I was 22, I went down to Los Angeles from uh, the Bay Area, and I went down there for school, originally graduated, uh, communications, something or other, and they decided to throw it away and join a bunch of bands. And I have been in a, a lot of bands in my lifetime. Good ones, too. Uh, nothing famous. No one got anywhere necessarily. But I got a chance to tour everywhere. I got a chance to record. I got a chance to uh, go to England to mix a record. I mean, it was it's wonderful. I got a, went all over the U.S. a bunch of times in a van, which really tests your character, trust me. It, it's like being on tw- being on tour is like being a pirate. I tell people because you're just going city to city and with your band of brothers and you're out there and you're you're pillaging and you're drinking and you're tearing up the town and you go to another town to do it and it just it's a crazy experience. So I joined this band called Ludafisk and Ludafisk were a band around 1992 five something like that and absolutely brilliant band, great songwriting. I was a bass player and sort of vocals back up. And just a wonderful band and a really great feeling around everyone. There was a community around that area in Los Angeles at the time. And that included Beck, and that included Elliot Smith, and that included uh, Possum Dixon and, and all these fantastic bands that were starting to get some notoriety within that little community. And it was a scene, and it was really great. I enjoyed it profusely. So, but this band, Ludafist specifically, was just a loud band. My God, we were loud. And it just demolished towns. Like an art punk kind of thing, Flaming Lips, Jesus Lizard, for anybody out there who can get those references. Um, we, we did tours with Beck. We did tours with Weezer for a bit. It was a lot of fun. So the uh, I'm going to play you just a little bit of Ludafisk. I'm going to play you just a heartbeat of a song called Hug Me that is just, I, I love this song so much. Very loud. It's going to be on about a minute. Um, I'm going to play it, and then um, I'm going to come back and talk about the intro guy. Who The deal is, this song was produced by the person that I did the interview with, Rob Schnapf. Hence the tie-in. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen, about a minute of Hug Me. Here we are. You get the idea. We were just obnoxiously loud and just absolutely wonderful. Fantastic time. So, yeah, the guy that produced that record is the next interviewee that I did, the guest named Rob Schnapp. And Rob not only did our record, but he also did some records, including Beck. He actually ran Bongload Records, which was the first label for Beck, and everything blew up from there. Cat Power, X, The Mighty X, Elliot Smith, wonderful singer-songwriter. If you don't know who he is, unfortunately passed away a long time ago. The Vines, The Toadies. 
on and on and on. I love Rob. Rob is easily one of the funniest people I know, the driest sense of humor in mankind. And I just had a fantastic time with him. We did talk a lot about uh, Elliot Smith, and we talked a lot about Beck, and we talked a lot about just the, the meaning of what art looks like and how it's how sim- simplifying things and, and, and kind of dialing things back just leads to a much easier lifestyle. So one of my favorites for sure. Uh, I really hope that you enjoy this as much as I did making it because part of the honest truth is I get to do these shows. I get to talk to old friends of mine. It's kind of a good thing. I'm like, you want to do a conversation? I haven't talked to you in like 30 years, but we'll just record it for a podcast. That is this, ladies and gentlemen. This guy is fantastic. So I really, truly hope that you have a fantastic evening, day, night, 4 a.m., wherever you are. Uh, I'm excited for this one to uh, put it out there in the world. Thanks, Rob, for doing this. Bye. Oh, and one more thing. I don't like doing punch-ins on any of these. I don't like editing any of these things, but I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Thanks to Beal from Ludafisk, one of my dearest friends, this guy, who was in the van with me forever, for getting me the microphone on which I am speaking right now. This fantastic beast. It was incredible. It, like, upped the game completely. Thanks, Beal. Okay, show's on. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the dazzled throng of the Inspired Minds podcast, I have the uh, both pleasure and possible misfortune of having a dear friend and producer, Mr. Rob Schnapp, on the quote-unquote line. Mr. Rob Schnapp, say hello. Hello. <laughs> Honestly, I thought you were just going to uh, just not say anything and leave that hanging. But Yeah, uh, I thought I would just kind of uh, step out of character for a second. <laughs> Get back in. <laughs> So, um, again, Dazzled Throng, uh, Rob and I have known each other uh, for eons. I, I might be a good word for it. And uh, just to kind of get this out of the way, uh, Rob destroyed me, uh, decimated me one time. And I guess this really is your chance to do penance, Rob, because my old band uh, was Ludafisk. And it was the first band that I joined that was a great band and had uh, touring ideas and albums and such. And Rob, along with a guy named Tom Rothrock, produced some songs for a uh, a record that we put together. And it was my first time doing this. I was in a real studio up in Humboldt, and it was incredible, and I was excited, and it was a new thing, and you guys were cutting tape with, like, razor blades. And then we all got into our van to head off on our four date, I think it was, tour. And I'm ecstatic. I'm excited. This is my first taste of rock and roll, of the road, of being a pirate on the road. And as I'm getting into the van, Mr. Rob Schnapp looks at me with a crooked smile and says, have fun on your little tour. <laughs> I, I'll never forget that face. We were getting into the black van and I was decimated. I was destroyed. <laughs> you killed my dream. <laughs> Even before I set foot on one city date. Uh, you're welcome. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> you killed the dream even before it began. <laughs> uh, well, it still sounds funny to me. But <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like I said, the reason I bring it up because I'm dying laughing, and yet you, you know, you corroded my heart in one fell swoop. Um, it's like a haiku. <laughs> or a cone. <laughs> exactly. Have fun on your little tour. <laughs> anyway. um, 
So let me get to the official interview, I suppose. That was a pre-interview uh, question. So what I always like to do on these things, Rob, is I, I kind of like to ask one standard question at the beginning, and that is simply, what is the first thing to inspire you when you were a kid that you can remember at least? What is it, a, a song, a movie, a book, a person? What got you? Hmm, interesting. First thing to inspire me. Uh, well, I... Early memories are the Magnus chord organ, like late 60s Christmas. And I just loved hitting those buttons that would make the keys, that would make the minor chords. Yeah. And, you know, I loved how the minor chord button sounded while playing the other, you know, playing the keyboard and how that minor major button, those buttons worked and was like, wow, it is, I, I didn't understand. I didn't even know what to think of it, but I like that sound a lot. And we also had this little 45 player, just the way the whole thing s smelled hmm. when you would play records. Like you could smell the electron, you know, you turn it on hmm. and it would have to warm up that whole thing. It was very exciting. And I loved race cars. Race cars. Like the electron, you know, the electric race set. Yeah, 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 yeah. The ones with guns that you would pull back on. Yeah, yeah, those were fun. Yeah, like the the loop the loops and all that. Yeah, and then building. I was into building Lego. I could just get lost in that for hours, and um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. That's really interesting too, because you know most people say a film or you know a book or you know a song or whatever it is. It's interesting. You're the first guy, and it makes sense to use equipment. As the inspiration, <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah, right. Like well, I always, I I always liked making things, and yeah, I was always into that kind of stuff. And my mom really, she was, she really fed into the creativity. She she thought that was, you know, oh, that's really good for your mind. It makes your brain grow. Wow, that's really interesting. So there's a through line in your life. Oh, you mean, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And actually, yeah. Uh, and always encourage me to read. And, you know, just that if you're reading, you're always learning, always read. doesn't matter what you read, just always read. So anytime I wanted a book, I could always get a book. Couldn't always get a toy, but I could always get a book. Right. What did you read? I, well, I started reading... And I still have them. I, I like read tons of peanuts. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, but on a, on a total side note, can we talk about the weirdest character, Five? Oh, man. I forgot about Five. Five. <laughs> wow. For the uninitiated, uh, Five was this really strange character who was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was like a hippie thing where his parents named him five because they didn't want to have a name or something like that? Or am I reading too much? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think he had a sister named three, if I'm not mistaken also. Well, wow, I don't remember that one. I'm a dork. Um, so, okay, Peanuts. And give me one more. Uh, well, I love the Phantom Tollbooth. Ooh, nice work. Yeah, Phantom Tollbooth was big. And, um, yeah, at the Peanuts, I always thought Beethoven, I always read it as Beef Oven. Because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know who Beethoven was. Or never. 
Like oh my God, that's fantastic. Okay, so uh, moving on from that incredibly compelling question. So as I was telling you earlier that, you know, this this podcast is about storytelling and then finding meaning in art or music, really, but that's all of kind of great art. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's another there's a line that, I, that you have that you in another interview you did where you talk about chasing the muse and not letting fame define you. Can you talk about that? Uh, I think it's yeah, well, it's just about staying connected to your art and let don't not letting the noise get in, you know. Um, and so, yeah, you don't start. It's like uh, what got you your notoriety or your fame wasn't you chasing it was you pursuing your art to begin with, you know, and it's a matter of like, uh, having that ability to sort of uh, keep the noise down and don't let your new friends (laughs) (laughs) and all that entails get in the way of, you know, that, that line you could have. And that line I, by, you know, that sort of your creative arc, even though life does affect it, of course, but fame is unnatural. So it, it basically, as much as you can keep it to the natural part, do you know what I'm trying yeah, to get at? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, I'll say this too, kind of piggybacking off that, that I saw that a lot in the uh, Silver Lake scene, which... I can talk about, it, I guess, in a second, but I saw so much of that and I didn't see so much of that. That was a, so again, for the dazzled, dazzled charm, there was this period in uh, LA, in, in Silver Lake, which was East LA, that was really magical for, for quite, for a little bit at least, because there were all these wonderful bands just, just doing what they need to do and playing at backyard parties and playing at, Dreams of LA, which became Spaceland. I mean, it was just an amazing time for me, at least. And we would all go to each other's shows, and it was a super connected environment, and it was an actual scene. And it was just, it, for me, at least, it was a wonderful halcyon time. And then the money came in because everybody's starting to find the next back and find the next this and find the next that. And I saw some people kind of go towards more of the commerce and let the art kind of fall away like another band that I was in with the lead singer who, um, you know, we got the big deal, but like we weren't doing it necessarily for the art or at least some of us weren't. So it was that shift that I saw. Did you kind of catch on that too? I mean, yeah, you got to see, well, you had a bunch of stuff happen then, which was you also had record companies desperate to sign anything and it became not well vetted. Right. And uh, so maybe you had people getting big deals or having money thrown at them where they weren't even, I don't want to say deserving because nobody deserves or everybody deserves whatever that means. But they like their intentions weren't weren't apparent yet because they haven't been doing it long enough. Right. And you talked about that, actually, I saw in another interview. And this makes perfect sense about how it's just create, 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 create. Mm-hmm. Right. I'll say this, you know, I, I think you may or may not know this, but I used to work uh, with Neil Young pretty closely at Warner Brothers just quite a while ago. And I realized 
that the key to working with Neil Young is to get the fuck out of his way because he knows what he's doing, right? Yeah. Right. I, I'm not Neil Young. He's been Neil Young for 70 years, but he just never stops, right? He never stops creating. He never stops creating because I fervently believe that real artists can't as survival, as a survival method, you know, because if they stop creating, they die. I've seen this time yeah. and again. Yep. You're doing it because it's what you do. You're not, it's, it's not like, oh, I mean, I, I've worked with somebody who um, I found this out after I was working with them. But, you know, it just seemed like a, a good idea because they noticed people getting placements. Uh, and, you know, they were really a screenwriter. But they just noticed, and they had some friends in high places and was like, ah, that seems easy. <laughs> and what do you know? Not a long career. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's it's almost like people are possessed who are creatives. That yeah, exactly. It's I've seen this. Like I said, I've seen it time and time again. Where people, if they don't die, they you know it's either suicide or addiction or ending up with like so much resentment that you have a calcified heart by the time you're on the deathbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that is just ultimately tragic. Which is why I'm glad that your mother and other people encourage creativity because it is so fucking overlooked, especially in this country these days. So, um, which leads me now to the other couple of questions I got. Speaking of storytelling, tell me who the great storytellers are, if you can. Well, Bob Dylan. There you go. That last record of his is amazing. I haven't heard it. What is it? Rough and Rowdy Ways. Huh, Okay. Just like total command of the word, right? Just, I just, yeah, it's it's amazing to me how how he's somebody who hasn't stopped, and you know his career goes all over the place, up and down. You like it, you don't like it, blah 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 blah. There's periods, but man, he is a storyteller. It's true. What do you mean by storyteller? How do you define that? I want to hear where the story goes. It's engaging and um, how it twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like, it's just like going to see a good movie. Your intellect turns off and you're just present and you're not, you're not in the theater. I'm not in my living room. Right. Like when I go to see movies, as soon as I start thinking about, like, ah, uh, I don't really like that part. I, as soon as that happens, um, oh, my intellect's been engaged. This movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I would just want to, I want to, I want that part to be turned off and still. And I just, I don't want to be like critical. And um, if it, if I'm, if the story is engaged, is engaging, then I'm still and quiet and in it. Correct. And you are present, like the Buddhists say. Exactly. You are present. Yeah. You're not thinking about the past or the future. You're completely engaged because I would say, because that story has meaning to you. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's why I always say that you can divine meaning through storytelling. I think it's a quicker way of divining meaning than a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, because it's got a beginning and middle and an end. It ties it up every single time. There's no mm-hmm. hanging, there's no hanging thing at the end of it. Um, so, or, or there could be, I mean, like, like Raymond Carver, great, yeah. great storyteller. He can stab you in the heart in two pages. Um, those are just slice of life. There's not stunning conclusion. You don't know how the person's life wrapped up. You just know this episode has come to a conclusion and they're still got miles ahead. Right. I want to talk about uh, your recording world now. And But first of all, I got to get this out. I remember when you were saying Mant for quite some time before the studio built. And what is Mant, ladies and gentlemen? It is a combination of a man and an ant. Man. Part man, part ant. Part yeah. man, part And then, and then it and was then? in a movie. Mant? Yeah, that Mant is, it's a sci-fi movie. I mean, it's a, it's like the man, I, but I had thought of it long before this. It was just one of those things someone else thought of it too. And uh, Mant is, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's sort of like, the science fiction movie within the movie. Huh. Yeah. I'll have to look it up. So tell me a little bit about, uh, well, first, what got you into producing? I mean, it's obvious when you were looking at an organ as a kid, but tell me how that kind of worked. Tell me about bong load, you know, where that went. Um, and let's kind of keep going with that. Oh, and one other thing too, before I, before you start, I guess, is I, I heard that your uncle uh, had a studio and he worked with like Bill uh, Brill building. Recordings. Is that right? Yeah. So my uncle had a studio on 48th Street in Manhattan and um, was the first independent studio in New York City. And uh, that's where my dad got his start. And I had another uncle who was a songwriter. And so you had the there was three schnaps in the music (laughs) business back then. And yeah, uh, they did all the Brill Building stuff, wow. and um, I know my dad worked with Phil Spector. Wow. Um, Survived? He hated him. Yeah, I imagine. And years later, I think it was there was this guy who was working at TVT, and I'd done this record with with Gotta Buy Voices. Yeah, and this guy was like a quality. He was like at this point quality control guy. It was mm-hmm. at that and sort of the. His career was winding down. He had a long storied career. And he was like, uh, are you related to uh, Schnapp? Are you related to Nat? And I was like, yeah, that's my uncle. Uh, my dad's Larry. He's like, oh, no way, Larry. Yeah, those guys were great. They taught me. They brought me up. Um, he ever tell you about uh, Phil Spector? And I was like, well, the only thing I know about that is I had mentioned to my father that I had gotten the, the Phil Spector box set, you know, back to Mono. Yeah. And uh, I thought maybe I would, you know, bond with him over this time period of music. I was like, hey, I just got that Spectre box set. And he was like, Phil Spectre sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Well, well, what about the wall of sound? He's like, you mean the wall of shit? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving on, you know, all right. <laughs> Let's not talk about Phil Spector then. Apparently not. Um, and so Warren, this guy who was at 
TBT, Warren Schatz was his name. Warren told me the story. He's like, oh, yeah, your dad hated Phil Spector. There was this time when uh, he just couldn't take it anymore, and he just got pissed at him. And he grabbed him by the coat collars and hung him up on the back of the door hook. Jesus. And just left him there hanging. Are you serious? <laughs> that's what that's what the story was. Oh my god! And and so I asked my father about that. I was like, "Is that true?" He said, "Yes." Wow. And he didn't say anything else about it. He was like, "That guy sucked." <laughs> well, at least he didn't shoot him. There's that. <laughs> and he, I mean, my father had a long fuse. He might not like you, but he didn't. He wasn't like. Um, gratuitous with anger he had a long fuse ah. but once it once it snapped it was bad has there ever been a time when you're uh producing or mixing a record that you felt like bringing out a shotgun like you did with the ramones and putting it on the uh table on the mixing <laughs> table uh never no? okay never all right moving on um so i i kind of want to talk a little bit more about uh well let <laughs> just start off with this Here's a story that you don't know about me, Rob. So in 1993, I guess it was, or something, I heard this song called Loser on KCRW, and it was Beck's song that's just starting to explode. I'm a young publicist at this point, and I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is going to be huge. I can I can tell. So as a young publicist, I tr- I called the bong loads for offices. I got a voicemail, and I left a message. I am a, a young publicist. I would like to represent Beck. <laughs> no return phone calls at all. But I'm sure your phone was blowing up anyway, no? Uh, I don't remember. But, yeah, it was that was pretty nuts. I do. I don't remember ever answering the phone. No. But it was a yeah, – that was an insane time. And it was like a very steep learning curve on that one. And that's what I wanted to ask about. What about that steep learning curve did you learn? That's really what I want to get to. Um, I learned, don't be intimidated. Always ask. Uh, so I learned to be informed. Don't fake it. If there's something you don't know, find out. Ask. Ask the right people. Don't pretend you know. Right. Find right. out. No. And the more informed you are, the less intimidated you are, and you don't have to put on airs or front. You could just be smart. And there's nothing more intimidating back to somebody than them knowing you can't be played. Yes. And it doesn't, and you don't have to be tough guy or slick. You just, you know, you just poke away and be honest. And I think that's a lot of the problem, not only back then, but even today and more so, is that, well, first of all, you understand this concept of being the eternal student, right? Absolutely. Bingo. And, and, you're, and you're absolutely right. And the, the, I guess the counterpoint to, to that is the imposter syndrome, which, you know, it's a psychological thing, but it's incredibly prevalent, especially in the entertainment industries, because people don't know who they are, so they pretend to be someone else. And but that fear is because they don't want to be quote unquote found out for who they are, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's prevalent. It's so prevalent in the industry entertainment industry, especially because there's very few hard skills, especially in the executive sides and the label sides and all that. This is just 
you know, promotion. You're hustling, you're talking, you're doing this, you're doing that. You're not doing finance. You're not doing Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. So the problem is that you imbue your, like your self-worth is tied to your job, right? Because that's an extension of who you are or you think that it is. So when that goes away, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I saw that. What a terrible way of defining yourself. Say again. What a terrible way of defining yourself is like, do you like you don't define yourself by your relationship. You don't define yourself by your job. You define yourself by you. Yeah. And if there is no you, then there is your problem. 100% correct. You know, I often say this, uh, that stop searching. I say this all the time. Stop searching for happiness. You won't find it. Happiness is a byproduct of doing good works and finding meaning in your life. And therefore, happiness finds you. And we've been doing the whole thing wrong. Yes, exactly. Exactly. 100%. Okay. So I can tell not to veer off your question. Please. um, But I can tell you that I am so much happier now making a quarter of the money because uh for me the making of the art and being in service to the artist yeah so it's just so rewarding and when in what the music business had turned into was you were not in service to the artist you were in service to the label yeah and i found myself not privy to a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that was going on in the building. Like, why should I be privy to it? Because I don't work there, mm-hmm. but not being privy to it made me be, I, I would, I was working in a vacuum uh, and that was uninformed because it would be like, you're, you're working on a record with a band, but the A&R guy has got these pressures on him to deliver something that you're not really sure what it is. Mm. All you know is you're getting these sort of uh, abstract input that doesn't seem to be related to the band. It's like, why did you sign this band? If you re- you know, hold on. What did, have you heard the band? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I will say on a side note, I'll not name names nor bands, but there was a band that was signed to Warner Brothers, and the A&R guy had never seen them live. We went to go see them live at Spaceland, and he was horrified at what he had seen, and I said, why the fuck did you sign this band? Wow. Swear to God, true story. Amazing. Uh, But, you know, I am curious, actually, when you get, let's say, notes, because I know that producers give notes to writers and directors and all that in film. What do those notes look like, let's say, from A&R guys or women? Well, it could be anything from, like, uh, you know, the vague, the classic, you know, hands being at their sides going, like, it sounds like this, and I want it to be this, which is wider. Like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Neither do I. Yeah. Or getting specific notes, like, this drum fill from this drummer, this drum fill from this drummer. Here's another drum fill from this drummer. I want the drummer to be more like that. I'm like, he's not that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Right. That, 
that term, well, maybe he needs to be fired. Well, he's an important part of the band. He's sort of the spirit of the band. If I would much prefer to work with the drummer. If you want to fire the drummer, that's on you. I'm not here to do your dirty work. Yep. And it may have been you that said this or another producer where someone came to him, some A&R person came to him and said, we, we need to sound more like Bonham. And somebody, maybe it was you, said, well, then get John Bonham. I think a million producers have said that to <laughs> a million A&R people. Probably. <laughs> um, so let me move on for a little bit. And uh, I, there was an A&R guy at Warner Brothers who was who I just thought was a total moron. Uh-huh. And I did finally say to him, I will try to be nicer if you mm-hmm. try to be smarter. Wow. How'd that go? I was fired. Believe it or not, the person that you're referring to was a person that I was referring to about two minutes ago. <laughs> I had a feeling. That's the one. <laughs> um, that makes so much sense on every level. Um, so so let's talk a bit about um, – I kind of want to talk about, you know, there was a time when you were allowed to make like three to four records back in the 70s and 80s before you hit, right? Like Springsteen and like all these guys. And – Clearly, that has gone away. What I'm honestly curious about is how does streaming affect some of this? And in particular, I know this, that people don't aren't invested in the artist anymore. They just care about the song. They don't give a shit about much else. They're not going to buy the merch. They're not going to see the tour. It's all elevator music or background music. What do you think about that? Well, I think that uh, that's a reality but it's not a reality for everybody. And um, as we get older and we have a relationship to music and its importance in our life and younger people, it's different. We can't be mad about it. Um, That's part of evolving. So it's sort of two different things too. It's like, that's the commerce of it. Right. What we're talking about is art. Right. So let's continue to make good art. The commerce, how that all works. I mean, it still changes every other month. Yeah. Well, it's a process of just staying out of the results, right? Yeah. It's what it is. It's, it's, it's knowing that this is good and it's knowing that it's time to release this. Yeah. And once again, it comes back to like, do you need the instant gratification and validation to believe that your art is good? Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the question, right? Exactly. Because um, if you do, you, mm, this is going to be a hard road for you. And I remember having this discussion sitting at this table. This is back in the nineties, sitting at this table with like all these music biz types and i was sitting next to the guy who was like doing sales at geffen and i definitely felt like a fish out of water at this mm-hmm. dinner um but he was talking about how great odelay was ah <laughs> and i remember beck playing me the record in his car 
and he was saying, and, and he was like, you know, what do you think? I was like, it's cool. You did, you did, you did good. Yeah. Um, and he was like, well, Geffen is saying this and, you know, Rick Rubin said that. And I'm like, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, how do you feel about it? You know, you feel good about it. And he did. Good. Yeah. That's, you know, that's really important. And, but he was getting sort of, I don't know, there was pressure because Geffen was unsure and they didn't know and what, you know, blah, 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 blah. So fast forward two years later, what a great record this is. And I said to the guy, would this have been a, would you have felt that this was a great record if it didn't sell? And he didn't know how to answer the question. Really? I was like, it's, yeah, it was like, it's like, is that what validated it for you? Wow. It's like the, there's a, you know, the art, uh, what is it? Uh, MGM has that thing of Ars Gracia Ars, Ars for the sake of art. And you may know this actually over at uh, what's, used, I guess, used to be Restless Records Studio or offices, which earlier was Stan Freeberg's office, the genius community. Oh, uh, really? Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, in that, uh, there's a big stained glass window at the top of it that was done by him. And it says Ars Gracia Pecuniae, money, which I thought was fantastic. Wow. Right up there. So let me just do a couple more things because I, I would be remiss not to talk about Elliot Smith who I absolutely adored, but I got to tell you a really small story about this. I went to go see him at Jabberjaw, which is this place in LA, and it's a small place, and there's this Miss Pac-Man machine there. And, it, you know, I don't know, 200 of us maybe, and as he's playing this beautiful and intimate song on his acoustic guitar, all of a sudden, Miss Pac-Man machine lights up like a fucking Christmas tree out of nowhere, and it's just... <laughs> like the entire vibe was killed in that room. <laughs> <laughs> Even Elliot was like completely he stopped obviously and everyone was like, you know, it was just this emotionally draining song as all of them were and all of a sudden just whoop up whoop 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 whoop. Tell me a little bit about that experience with him, because again, I'm a giant fan and I, I thought he was just fantastic. Uh that oof, that's a very broad question. I'd imagine it was. <laughs> Um, you can pick a powder on this. Well, I mean, that was, uh, you know, that was one of those things where Margaret and I have more, I went with Margaret slim moon from, uh, yeah. Dead moon. Uh, what? Slim moon from dead moon. Am I got that right? No, oh. but, uh, slim moon from, uh, kill rock stars. Oh, kill rock stars. Right told margaret to go you know check out this guy and um we went to jabberjohn some and i've I've told the story a million times so i'll skip all that part but it was the first song he played was needle in the hay and it was just like oh god yeah and they started you know they connected and they started talking and then we became friendly and it was just a really natural thing, you know, and and like Margaret has these great stories about how she started working with him. And when she first started doing that, the singer songwriter thing was still like an outdated. It wasn't really something that happened. Yeah. 
It's true. You're right. And so it was like singer songwriter, you know, all the hip band she was working with from the Northwest were like singer songwriter. Wow. That's corny. And then fast forward a year later, Holy shit. Have you heard this guy, Elliot Smith? It's like the same people. And just to go around, you know, go to shows and watch this thing happen was really cool. I mean, very clearly remember being at Brownies in um, New York when like the uh, hipster intelligentsia were at the show and he just hushed the room. Mm. And from that moment on, it was on. And, you know, this thing just, and even still, it was still like a steady, it wasn't a rocket. It wasn't like a, no, it it was just like this nice um, incline. Yeah. And and just to dork out for a heartbeat, there's a turn. I just remember this, actually. There's a turnaround in Say Yes at the very end. Mm Mm-hmm. Which it is so wonderful because it just out of nowhere, suddenly at the end of it, it changes chords and goes into a, a, a wonderful different place. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, crooked spin, can't come for rest, all that. Yeah. Oh, God, how wonderful! So I don't want to keep up too much of your time because I know that you're extremely busy uh, trimming your beard, which is quite lovely, by the way. <laughs> um, first of all, I, I want. I want the collective audience to know this is that you can run out right now and buy robschnoff.com. Oh, that's great. It's expired. So if you you better get this, get on this before the, uh, in two weeks when this thing goes up, just an FYI, I just checked it out. It's open. <laughs> so knock yourself out. Wow. So what, can, what, so what do I do about that? You go buy it online. <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll tell you after this interview is over. Or maybe I'll do it myself and then charge you a hostage fee. <laughs> that might work. Um, so for the last thing, and I would, again, I'd be completely fucking remiss. And quite honestly, the entire point of this interview is so I can have you repeat the following story. I really want you to tell me that Brett Michaels, every rose has its thorn story again. It is campfire time. <laughs> Please. I Well, I don't really exactly remember anymore i do <laughs> i can tell it <laughs> i just remember he had that it, it's it says every rose has its so it's thorn like it's slated that way on the video it apostrophe s it is really on the video too yeah it's it's on the record it's on the video <laughs> it made it through capital emi wow Nobody caught it. Everybody thinks it's right. I don't know what, or nobody cared. I have no idea what. It is. Um. So, every rose has it is thorn. Yep. And Brett had a tattoo of it on his arm. Yep. I don't know. Did I tell him? I have. I don't remember. But you did. Let me explain the story that you have forgotten, old guy. So apparently, you were mixing one of their records. I think it was like some greatest hits or something. And he comes in with a tattoo indeed that has a bunch of roses or rose thorns around it. And it says, sure enough, every rose has, it is thorn apostrophe S you apparently turned to him and said, uh, you got a typo on your arm. He got pissed 
the next day or the next session had come in and he had over, he had literally got a tattoo over. He'd like extended one of the thorns over the apostrophe. Yeah, that's right. He put the, uh, yeah, he like wrapped a vine around it or something. That's, that's exactly right. That's, that's one of my favorite of all the, I honestly, I tell that story quite frequently and I give you full credit. Um, I also remember we were talking about Spinal Tap and he didn't think it was funny. Uh, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, well, listen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have been uh, bequeathed a uh, wonderful conversation with myself and uh, Mr. Rob. By the way, I've been saying Rob Schnapp all this fucking time. Is it Rob Schnapp? I mean... Yes. Uh, anything. It's all close. I think. I would think that the proper way would be schnapp. That's what I would think. But we always said it schnapp. Like an Ellis Island thing, where you guys change the pronunciation kind of deal. I, I don't even know. Well, I'm sticking to schnapp, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening to uh, Rob and I, Rob. We do a little thing here. Uh, I do a little thing here on the show, which is where we officially say goodbye on the show, but then we click hang up, quote unquote, and then we keep talking. Deal? Great. Requires a little acting. Requires a little bit of acting. Uh, so, uh, Rob, Mr. Uh, wonderful Guy, it really has been nice talking to you, old friend. And um, say goodbye. Right now? Yeah, you know, we'll fake it. Go ahead. Say, say goodbye. Bye. There you go. That's easy. Um, and I'm going to hang up now, and then we're going to keep talking. And that was a hoot. Bye.